All right, so before we dive into the details of your current findings related to leukemia treatments, tell me a bit about the work you do on a broader scale within the world of chemistry and biochemistry. Sure. My training is in drug design, and those of us who like that area, which I've been doing for a long time now, 30 plus years, I find fascinating because you basically are trying to understand um, how something works in a cell. Usually biochemists, by definition, are uh, people that open up a cell and look in the cell. There's all kinds of science, obviously. A biologist looks oftentimes at a whole organism. Uh, chemists or a physicist might look at you know atom level stuff. Biochemists like to open up cells and figure out how the things inside the cells work. And so the biggest driver of phenomena going on inside of a cell, what makes a cell work are the enzymes, the proteins which carry out reactions. They, they make things happen. They, they give you the energy that you use to when your muscles work, you know, everything, neurotransmission, what genes get turned on and off. It's all driven by these small protein molecules called enzymes. And they're fascinating. They're just super fascinating because they um, carry out a reaction at room temperature or whatever temperature your body is. And they make things go that would not normally go at all. Now, the enzymes that we study are particularly intriguing because what they do is they work on the part of the cell that most people know about at some point from their biology, and that would be DNA. They, these enzymes change what, what your DNA looks like. And what they do that's so fascinating is in the, they're part of a big field called epigenetics, which is basically... Epi is just on top of genetics. Most of us have had high school biology at some point and know that, you know, the DNA codes for who you are, your skin color, you know, your height, et cetera, et cetera. But it turns out that that DNA is, you could call it the hardware of your cell. It's, it's the code that makes you you. However, that, that code needs to be read. It needs to be interpreted. It needs to be transformed into something that you can physically see, which is a cell or your body. That process is basically the software. It's how do you read the different parts of your, of your, of your code? And that's the field of epigenetics. Now, as you can imagine from what I said in the beginning, the, the, that reading process, the, the how do you read the code is done by enzymes. And that's what we study. We study the enzymes that basically convert the code into whatever that cell is supposed to be doing. So basically, if you take a look at different cells in a, in a multicellular organism like a human, what you'll see is that there's different genes turned on in different cells. And a big part of that is the field of epigenetics. And a big part of that is the enzymes that my lab studies known as DNA methyltransferases. They take, they, they put these little spots on your dna and those spots are super super critical now the beauty of the, the the field i'm in which is basically drug design because you might imagine how does this lead to drugs well anything in biology that works to control something can be led astray can be messed up cancer is basically a disease in which a cell no longer plays well with others it, it doesn't obey the kind of rules of living in, in a group, in a village. So what happens is a cancer cell, first of all, is immortal. They don't die. And the second thing is, is that they have uncontrolled growth. And obviously, if you're a multicellular organism, that's not good news. 
And so the, it turns out that one of the biggest drivers, the thing that makes it happen or, or, or causes cancer is that you get misregulation. You get a, um, an inappropriate turning on and off of certain genes. And once that, once that cancer cell has that advantage of growth, uncontrolled growth, what happens is, is that that cell now has an advantage and it will dominate the rest of the cells. So one of the biggest drivers of that phenomenon I just said is DNA methylation. And in particular, the enzyme that we study, it happens to have the name of DNMT3A. And it turns out that when that gene, when that enzyme gets mutated, it leads to uncontrolled growth of, in this case, of, of uh, blood cells, of, of, of cells that are in your bone marrow that become your blood cells. So more in terms of your specific research right now, I know that the current treatments that exist for leukemia are things like chemotherapy that are considered more toxic. What sets apart the potential treatments that you've discovered from existing treatments? So the idea is, is that the field of epigenetics, what's really beautiful about it is that it's reversible. Cancer for most people comes from a mutation that basically means the only thing you can do is shut down that cell. You can kill that cell. It turns out with epigenetics, it's reversible. I, I mentioned a methyl group going on in the DNA. Well, there's enzymes that take the methyl group off. The reason that the drug industry loves that is because that means that you're basically reprogramming the cell. You're not killing the cell. So what we've discovered is a group of small molecules, the drugs, aspirin is a small molecule, et cetera, that disrupt this complex I referred to earlier between the enzyme that we study, DNMT3A, and these partner proteins that, that glomp onto it and make it go do certain things and inappropriately in cancer. So by disrupting, that means we interfere with its inappropriate action in, in leukemia patients. So basically what we're doing is we're stopping this rogue enzyme from doing what, it, what it's not supposed to be doing. Now, the, the reason why that's better than the currently used drug, for example, is desetabine, which is basically what desetabine does is it, is it basically stops all DNA methyltransferases. And so this is a classic problem in cancer therapy, which is where all that everybody has heard about chemotherapy, the toxicity. Why is that? You're, you're affecting processes that you do not want to affect. And so that, that causes a problem. That's where the toxicity manifests itself from. So our compound doesn't do that. Our compound is very, very, or our approach is very, very selective because it only affects the enzyme that's gone rogue in the cells that lead to leukemia. And that's the advantage right there is selectivity. What can this mean for the future of leukemia treatment then? And, and what kind of steps need to be taken to make this into tangible treatments? Good question. So that's actually a really big question because I've started my own drug companies. And so I can tell you that I know a lot about what, what you're talking about. But the problem is, is that what people don't appreciate about the drug process, the drug development process, is that early stage researchers like me and the, the people in my lab we discover what we call a proof of principle, that this, this idea could be a new cancer therapy, this, this approach. The problem is that the, the really big expense in drug development comes in when you do what are called clinical trials. There's three stages, one, two, and three, and those get super expensive. So when people talk about drug development costing billions, it's not for people like me and the researchers in my lab. It's because 
when you when you go to these clinical trials, you're talking about doctors, nurses, patients, thousands of them, and all those people are paid. Well, not the patients, but all those people are paid lots of money. That's where the real cost comes in. And so the question that you're really asking is, you know, when does that next stage get picked up? Meaning who's going to do the next, the next part of that? So we are still doing some of that. What we're doing right now is we're increasing the potency, meaning the, the dose that you would have to take or the dose that we have to give to a, a cell or to an animal to get the effect that we want. It's good. It's as good as the clinically used drug. But what we also want to do is improve any side effects. Right now, we're, we're ready way better than the clinically used drug, but we want to get better than that. So we can make, we, we make changes in the molecule itself that we've already discovered and try to make better variations of that. Better in what way? Potency, meaning lower dose, and better in terms of selectivity. So the chances of having a, a, a you know, toxicity problem in a, in a human would be much, much less. We would do that for about another year or two, and then I would either do one of two things. I would either try to uh, get, uh, you know, we, we're filing patents on this. We would try to get a company, a pharmaceutical company interested in this, or I would start another drug company. But it's, a, it's frustrating for people because I'm getting contacted right now by, by people who have certain kinds of cancers uh, because they, they've read about this article and they think that, well, when can we use it? Well, it's, it's un unfortunately, there's a big gap between uh, academic researchers and finding it over in Costco or something like that. There's a big gap there between those two things. And that can be a year, it can be 10 years. It, it, you just don't know. All right. Do you have anything that you wanna add before you have to, have to go? I guess the final piece of this is, and it's not at all related to why I'm doing what I'm doing, but my dad died of leukemia, oh God, 20 years ago now. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it, it's kind of interesting when you go back and look at people who do make discoveries in, either in technology or in, in, in biomedicine or whatever, oftentimes they end up doing things in part driven because of, of some personal story, a family member dies or, or something like that. that. That's not the case for me, but it is, it does put a really big smile on my face that I'm studying something that that was related to my father, uh, what, what ended up killing him. So, you know, it's that that's perfectly decent motivation. <laughs> you know? And, uh, and I really do enjoy what I do. Mm, I love your excitement about it. And I, I can tell that you talk to people about this a lot because everything you said made sense to me and I haven't taken a science class in years. So I really appreciate that. <laughs> well, uh, well, I appreciate the, the feedback. I, I try. It's, it's, it's a, I'm a work in progress. That's what I can tell you. <laughs> of course, we all are. We all are. Absolutely. Good talking with you. Okay. Thanks a lot, Jeff. Right. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye-bye.